<laughs> so then when I call, I'm like, hi, grandmom. And she's like, yeah, go on. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Because she thinks you're like a telemarketer. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, just calling to say hi. She's like, identify yourself. They're calling every day. They're like, hello, ma'am. This is Jonathan, your <laughs> grandson. Uh, uh, I, I'm like, I'm like, it's your grandson, <clears throat> Daniel, you know? And she's like, oh, Bob, it's Daniel. I thought it was one of those schmucks again. <laughs> like, <laughs> I thought it was one of those damn Indians. I'm like, well, you're not wrong. Like, it is a schmuck calling. <laughs> just the one you're related to but you don't, not the one <laughs> um should we get it started i come from a long line of schmucks dan <laughs> <laughs> no comment <laughs> all right i i i didn't make it i i i didn't make it yeah i fucked him oh. i fucked him real good oh do you like this i fucking loved it Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. From one Dan to another. I would, I, would, I, would, I would like to see the baby. Hold on to your butt. Are you gonna fucking fuck me? What? They gonna kill me? Will Smith just smacked the shit out of me. I, I, I would like to see the baby. Yeah, I fucked him. Oh. I fucked him real good. Oh, do you like this? I fucking loved it. You bitch. Hold on to your butt. Hey. Dan was just dabbing and fucking. Dude, I was getting my dab on. He was doing like a TikTok dance. Dude. But you can't see that because we don't film this. Yeah, because we haven't sold out to the fucking fake news visual media. We don't bow to the demands of the woke public. So that our fucking ad revenue can go to Disney. But we do. I'm not here to fund abortions, Dan, with my humor. Pander directly to our audience. Let's go. Hit them right in the base where it hurts because this week we watched. Drug masterpiece question mark movie uh, around the fire. Uh, it, we, this is this is, <laughs> we're bringing out, you know, we do play character caricatures of ourselves on the show. Sure. Today we're you guys are gonna get to know the real us a little bit. <laughs> this Th- is you're gonna this get is to, it. you're gonna get to the real dance fishing of it all. The, I'm really trying to cut it off after this one. I think I've reached my limit with. Um, <laughs> with sh- lobbing shots directly into my base, but um, no, man, this is what we have to cultivate, and <laughs> okay. this is our inroad. Fair, that's fair. You um, have to go post this on the blackboard and be like, "Here's a new when Alan met Sammy," <laughs> and actually, it's just, it's a, just link. a link to Podbean <laughs> to a Devin Sawa movie. <laughs> <laughs> and may I say, our second Devin Sawa movie um, on the podcast, uh, alum from The Fanatic, a movie that Dan forgets he's watched Dan, many times I, over. I saw a post on that My Drug Band is Better Than Your Drug Band group, mm-hmm. where literally, totally someone with zero connections to me wrote, I can't believe you degenerates never told me that there was like a highbrow slash lowbrow movie podcast run by people like us of exactly our sense of humor. Referring to us. And then you posted, that does not exist. <laughs> Do not go looking for that podcast. I, I literally, I, I basically, I was like... Block user. Yeah. I, 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 was, I was like, please don't spoil the rental zone with these people. Bring sheets. Um, today's movie... And they did. Statistically, mathematically, if you're going to use those metrics is the most relatable movie Dan Enden and I have ever seen in or out of this podcast. If you were to go on, uh, you know, like maybe 
when we watch music movies, drug movies, we see a little bit of ourselves in this or that. This movie was like a laser fucking focus into the worst parts of myself. Um, and, and for that reason, uh, truly, this was a movie in which I was permanently the Leo pointing meme. I was just, <laughs> my hand did not go down from pointing at the screen at any time. Um, everything from uh, the main character being like, uh, like spoiled and at like a, a specialty school while he's like leaving on the weekends to go get dosed. Um, just, it, it, it's all in there, but uh, obviously like, and as I've mentioned before, I wrote a book about a very similar topic to this and it's way, way, way more of a horror story than, <laughs> than this kid's fucking 90s PSA of an experience. But um, it, it's interesting. It's interesting to come upon a movie that Dan and I have never seen. Or a, heard of. B, or heard of. Dude, I can't. I can't get past that. Like, I can't. Me neither. I like. <laughs> I'm that, like, where, where was that, this? <laughs> that age that I was right. with the obscure movies I was devouring. The amount me and my friends were sitting around eating L and watching Electric Apricot. Like, this would have slipped right in. Like, right. I'm like, dude. Like, did here's my here, here's my idea. Okay. Is it possible that? Like a time traveler came back and planted this movie. This is a Mandela as effect situation. Proof of his own existence because the Berenstein Bears thing didn't work. Yep, yep. And there is just no feasible way that I would have not known about this movie. I'm mad at everybody I know. I'm mad at you, Dan, for not having seen this movie. The fact that you haven't seen this movie because this has, let's put this it. This has Netflix through the mail all over it. <laughs> this has Dan Endenverse flair um, <laughs> in a way that. If I, I had seen this movie, I could have made different decisions, Dan. <laughs> well, here's the thing. And here's the interesting thing about anybody who's listening to this as well. Um, if you're still caught up in the clutches um, of the Wook machine, then this message won't reach you. But if you're like me, and to a slightly lesser extent, Dan Enden, and you have graduated from this environment entirely, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually... Um, then you view this movie very differently because when I was Devin Sawa's age um, and was doing the things that he was doing with less hair extensions, but I was doing those things, I felt like um, that this was really spot on um, for that period of time. Um, it was just embarrassed watching was, this movie. It was, dude. <laughs> I, my like my, <laughs> Cut my, a little too close to home, dude. Within the first ten minutes of this movie, we have both the Mourners' Cottage right, and right, right. the Meters blasting. I was like, this movie is like an AI bot scanned my brain. Yeah. Like when my, I my first note said, <laughs> this is really fucked up. How it how it is in many ways. Oh, how realistic it is in many ways, and just truly wild that in a non caricature degree, this is like. Genuinely, kind of how I lived my life. <laughs> Same. Um, like it's presented, like because I was just thinking of someone seeing this movie at the time who like had never been to a lot sure, or anything, sure, and being like, "The fuck is this?" And I was just like, "Oh wow, they even have the fucking stupid lotus-themed burrito stand." <laughs> the the veggie stir. Like fry. It, it's all so absurd at right. this point, being so removed from it, mm -hmm. and being someone who like hasn't consumed L in a decade. Sure, but like. In that time span, like, that's what, like, 
it there dude it hit parts of me like of embarrassment <laughs> but it hit parts of me of like childlike nostalgia yeah, of like yeah. God, what I would give to feel the feeling that I felt the first time I went into like a lot and was like, oh, I can just kind of relax and like not worry about shit because everyone just being cool and like giving me awesome food and underage alcohol, like, yeah, and feeding me drugs that I've never tried before. Like, this is this is a magical place. Like, these people know what's up, man. These people are living the best life, right. And then down to like the one, the like random, like ominous people, like the older heads with like the ominous messages of like, you better, you better watch out, buddy. You're getting ahead of yourself. Sure. I was just like, dude, this, who made, who funded this movie? Like the purpose of this movie? There are, um, there, there are so many likenesses, I'm sure, in our situations to this movie. Um, and there are, there are endless stories that we could probably tell. Um, and, and we will. And we will. Um, On I, this special two-part episode. I just want to start with a brief anecdote about what uh, the kind of story in my life that uh, translated so well to this movie. Because as you've seen this movie, they do kind of like the lot scene very well and the inner concert experience very well, regardless of the fact that they did not pay the rights to have an actual band playing at any time. There's one scene with, <laughs> with something a, there's, we can address. There's one scene with a live brown-eyed woman from the dead, and that scene really was like that fucked with me. Right. Because, um. boy, every character in this movie, I either to some degree have been or very easily could have been had I taken a different fork at any given point. Right. Like if I would have done that blackface thing, I could have been like Trace. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Um. <laughs> What a fucking thing to say. How many shows have you been to? Um, so, Dude, like um, that, that, that was the moment where I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, no matter how terrible this movie is, like, I have to, <laughs> I have to take a little step back and zoom out and realize that this movie's terrible because the live, lives that we were living right. were stupid and terrible. <laughs> right. And and what I was getting to earlier. It's just so corny, man. And I want to tie like my, it. Dude, my parents would like look like my grandparents would see me show up in like my tie-dye shirt and like my Baja and they'd be like, what is this? And I'd be like, you don't understand, grandma. And now I'm just like, I was just like, why wasn't I wearing a button down to my grandparents' house? It's a little shit. <laughs> it's called a pin board, grandma. <laughs> it's my office. Dude, Dude, uh, uh, there was a I, there was a time in my life where I sat at my college graduation dinner mm-hmm. at a restaurant in Princeton, New Jersey, where I'm fucking eating $200 sushi tower appetizers, yep. explaining to them how my primary source of income is selling pins in the parking lots of music festivals, and, and watching their their eyes just be like, I don't understand <laughs> the words that you're saying. And I had to come home and explain at a family dinner why, as a Jewish boy, I was wearing a Rastafarian <laughs> armband, a religion of people who hate us. Um, so uh, I want to tie a couple things up really quick that I was talking about. So A, um, like we were saying, like it, as a kid, I would have watched this and, and been very much in Devin Sawa's corner. Um, as an adult... And the and like the reason that a couple people were like, oh, this is a drug PSA. I want to break it to you right now, and you're gonna hate to hear this, but if you're listening to this, your life might be a drug PSA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's very possible that you have fucked up your entire life, yeah. um, much as Devin Sawa did. So like, when I watch this movie, it's from somebody that's been in that situation and is no longer in that situation. And when I look back on it, while it did produce incredible memories, moments, scenarios, and friends. It doesn't hold that religious textual weight 
that it held when it I was experiencing it. Yeah. Um, when I'll, you're like, I'm becoming a part of something. Yeah, I'm never gonna tap into that again. But what I can say is like, there the closest story for me that really felt like this was first fish show that I ever saw at Camden. I think I was 15. So I was arguably younger than Devin Sawa is in this yeah, movie. Yeah. And um, just to cut right through it, I had the same experience. Went to the lot, saw girls topless standing on coolers selling things. Yeah. Like the commerce of it was was this like mind blowing experience where like I had gone from like only ever shopping in a Target to being like in a drug bazaar, and that had a huge effect on me. And I consumed in that period of time. I didn't know that weed and food could be combined. Right. No clue. And a guy was like, this is a ganja Rice Krispie treat. And it was like 95 degrees out. I took the ganja Rice Krispie treat and I held it up and looked at it. It was in a plastic bag. Was it a goo ball? And from the third, no, it's just a Rice Krispie yeah, treat. Yeah, okay. It was radioactive green. <laughs> from the third of the bag to the bottom was just oil. I would assume it was just like melted out of this yeah, thing yeah. In, in the heat. Delicious. Drinkable, like literally that amount of oil. No, that's for that's for masturbating. So I Dan. pulled it out. <laughs> And I fucking ate the entire thing in like one second. And then I drank a bunch of dark beers, which was something I also wasn't used to. And then I got in line. It was like 900 person line. And I got in. And at this point, I was tripping my balls off from this Rice Krispie treat. It was so young. Like my brain was literally mush yeah. at that point to begin with. And I was running like a tractor trailer over it. And I got inside. Literally, my vision is doing 360s. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I was inside of a police siren, just flying in circles. And... I threw up, and this is like right when you walk into Camden where all the bathrooms are. Everyone's on like flat ground in front of each other. Threw up, and it was like the Exorcist, just pea suit, bright, bright green, because it was everything that I'd consumed from that bag and dark beer mixed. (laughs) And it was like six or seven dark beers, and all of it came out in one fucking go. Like, And when that finished, I was tripping so fucking bad. I was like, I need to piss. Now I'm like going to die. And I looked over and everybody in the bathroom line was looking at me because I would vomited everywhere. So I ran up on the hill, fish started playing, I ran to the back of the hill and um, in Camden, huge lawn, I, I went all the way to the back and I was like, I'm just gonna pee on the ground. And as I'm peeing on the ground against the back fence of Camden, I have a tap on my shoulder and I turn around and it's this group of old men, like 40s, 50s, deadhead okay. style yeah, yeah. old dudes. And they're like, yo, man, you can't pee here. And I was like, what? What do you mean? I'm like <laughs> tripping my balls off. And they were like, this is like sacred ground. This is the concert. And I'm literally <laughs> pissing all over the ground. All of a sudden, like all the social faux pas bells go off in my mind. I'm like having an absolute breakdown. This guy turns me by the shoulders to face him and his friends. And my dangle is out and I'm just peeing. And I, at this point, had ne- no one's ever seen my dingle, let alone, like, <laughs> a bunch of old men. And they start pointing and laughing at it. Because, oh like, you know, yeah. I'm not, like, stretched out. Yeah, yeah. I'm at a yeah, show. It's tucked in my, beyond my jorts. You're Jewish. And I'm, like, 14. <laughs> You're surrounded by unknown white men, so you were hiding. I think they were laughing because I was peeing and I had a small child's penis. <laughs> Can't tell, but... I am just in a nightmare now. Like a nightmare that I never thought I'd be in. And these guys start pushing me. And I'm like mid-tremendous piss. Oh my God. And they're pushing me and I'm pissing everywhere. And I'm tripping and I'm pissing everywhere. 
And when this ends, like I'm traumatized. Like yeah, I've been yeah. basically sexually molested. Yeah. <laughs> and I went back to my friend Kramer, who's standing on the hill. And he was like, what's up, bro? You look terrified. <laughs> and I looked at him and I looked at Fish and I was like, does matter. And just forgot about it. Because we're at the concert. And then the fucking drums hit, the concert hit. And the reason I tell this story is because like... And you're like, I got out of that maze, Trey. <laughs> this, this movie portrays, and the novel that I wrote about my experience going through this as my parents became Orthodox Jewish is the basic crux of that. But I explain a lot in that that there are horrors. The book is called Novel Horrors. There are horrors that are could be social faux pas. When you're blasted on acid yeah. and drugs oh, yeah. and the littlest thing happens. Yeah. It's true fear. Or like in this movie when Trace is set up to get arrested for selling L. Uh, I almost threw up. It's dude. moments like that that are more horrifying than like the Vietnam War. Yeah. Because you're opened up, cracked like an egg on drugs when they happen. Um, so yeah, just just a brief anecdote. Didn't even plan on really telling that one, but that that story really knocks with me in the way that this movie did accurately, where the scene is right, the treats are right, like they're talking about all the right things. Double bionic hydroponic ganjaku ball. And I'm sitting there and I just am pointing. I'm just Leo. I'm pointing. I'm yeah. pointing. I'm pointing. And for that, like, how can you? even react to this movie as someone like us i know there's no it's, objective it's hard. way to look at it and it's like it's making me realize like what a deep well of knowledge and experience this fraction of our lives is right that never gets explored on this podcast really right we're like there are people who have joined into this after the fact who don't know us and probably just think we're a couple nerds fucking squares well dan why don't we tell them a little bit about ourselves in, in that case i want to go through some statistics will you go through st <laughs> through some stats with me really quick yeah, um yeah. and let's give the audience an idea of approximately how much damage we've done to ourselves here before we talk about the movie around the fire okay. so to get this started i would like you to reach into the mouth of the jurassic world dominion gigantosaurus next to you oh. <laughs> where, are you, where are you all fine this is going to be my new thing from Dude, now on. If you're new gag keep doing for shit next like season. This, we have to film the podcast. It's hilarious. Um, <laughs> what we have is a list of jam bands. <laughs> um, before we get there, I do want to talk about uh, our jam band backgrounds as musicians, but uh, we're going to go through this list of jam bands, quickly give each band a GGR, and say how many times we've seen them. Yes, there are some missing. I don't care. I think the only one worth really adding would be Mo from a statistics point of view, but. We're going to get there in a minute. Uh, hi, I'm Dan Lyons. Um, I was the drummer for Bass Drum Bingo when I was in high school. It was an unts band that sounded like the Disco Biscuits. Kids in the Conestoga area were crazy about it. We were crazy about it. We had lots of fun parties. We played good shows. Uh, in college, I was in a band called Solaris. Uh, yes, it's based on the book, not the movies. <laughs> um, and we played about 175-ish shows, 200-ish shows. And... Um, uh, that was like uh, kind of like the New Deal, but like even even more fucked and minimal and bizarre. Um, and uh, that led into uh, me getting drafted uh, to Horizon Wireless, a uh, group that we all know well um, before and after uh, my being the drummer for it. And um, um, we opened up for the Biscuits quite a few times. We played at Camp Bisco quite a few times. Um, it's really taken me to 
all the places I needed to go to as a creative and a musician. Moving on from that, I joined Microcave. Microcave um, was Tractor Bear, uh, Disco Biscuits cover band. If you're seeing a pattern arise, it's I have a lot to do with the Disco Biscuits. Hey, we're from Philadelphia. Uh, we were here when the transfusion scene began, which is an evolution from regular jam band music to having an electronic edge and influences from said things. Uh, and at one point I did play in a band. I know Dan would want to talk about it more with Dan called Hail Sagan. Oh, I forgot um, all about that. No, you didn't. You talk about it all the time. And um, <laughs> But when I was just running through the docket in my right, head, the I docket, totally, sure. yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Hail yeah. Sagan was cool, man. We, we threw some fun shows and did some cool shit in Philadelphia and it really got me to gracefully enter the Philadelphia scene again as an adult because I'd spent a long time away from it. Uh, Dan Anden, go ahead. Uh, my name is Dan Enden. I'm a bass player. I sold acid, Dan. <laughs> I played. I play. I'm a bass player uh, for wedding bands, and that's all. That's all that ever happened. No, I played. Uh, <laughs> where? Where did? Sorry, I played. I played bass in a band in high school called Cow Noodles. Mm -hmm. uh, the guitarist of that band, John Lowland, you. If you know, then you're the type of person who would watch this movie before we did. Uh, he's the bass player of the band The Jaunty these days, and for the last 15 years. Um, from Cow Noodles, I transitioned to playing bass for a band called Cocktail Party Phenomenon. Um, I don't know how many shows we played, around like 220, I want to, I would guess. Um, you know, did some festivals. Dan and I did some festivals oh, we together. Played, we played Catskill <laughs> Chill the same year. We did, a, we did a few, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we did, uh, we did some real, some real... What was the festival small, that we both Small played? Boys Cosmic um, Alignment. Was that the Fucking one? Fucking no, Lunar Light Festival. I'm thinking of the Lunar one Light started by that band with three guys in it that was really bad. Maybe it was Lunar Light. Who, who, what band started? Manifested. That? Yeah, that was probably them. Yeah, we yeah, played yeah. we played that together. Yes, we played Cosmic Alignment. I saw it like your too. keyboard player talking to a tree. Yes, at one of yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know. I uh, I played bass one time with Horizon Wireless Woo! live band. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I yep, yeah. Cool. Um, but that was not a good venue. I no. wish I wish we had a better crack. I've done some a handful of super quote unquote super group work. And Dan, how could we forget? And we're going to tell this story because we we're talking about everything under the sun in this episode, I would assume. But um, how could we forget the night that you sat in with my band Solaris? Uh, where Dan, I wish we did. What's the code word that we used in the one drug episode? Smooth jazz. Oh yeah, where Dan <laughs> Dan listened to too much smooth jazz before our set. After, dude, of years of, like, <laughs> sit, sitting through Solaris sets and being like, I want to sit on a bass, like, right. I want to do cool shit with this band because Solaris, like, was what it was. I wanted to, I was like, I could add something to this. I, I was, like, feeling real cocky. Yeah. And then I listened to it a bit And too much. you would have, had you not been tranquilized, would have been very good. Yeah. And I was, Again. I was not good. <laughs> right. Um, that was a low point in my life in general mm -hmm. that falls in, in the general uh, around the fire timeline. I'm anyway, sure we'll get um, to numerous <laughs> things like this. I currently play in a band called Quay. No, well, hold on. <laughs> we're not we're not elaborating here. Is that a, that's a no go? 
elaborating on how poorly I played? No, so, I mean, sure. Okay, so Dan put his bass on. I could tell when he walked up on stage it was over before <laughs> before a note was played because he was holding his bass like it was like a, a nuclear bomb that he was transporting. Well, Vinny also wears his bass at his knees like he's Mark right. Hoppus, and I'm already half the height of him, and I was immediately like, this is a problem. So, Dan, I could hear his notes coming in, but they were very uh, flimsy. <laughs> <laughs> There wasn't a, this confidence, this bravado that I expected from him as a player. I know, as someone who takes myself very seriously as a musician, I really fucking let it all hang out there. <laughs> so that show had a green room that was down a large staircase. Uh, to we like don't a, need to go into this part. <laughs> well, that's what I was. Okay. That's what I was saying. What do you want me to blank it out? No, I fell down the stairs. I, I, I slipped down the stairs. Let's just say that when you listen to smooth jazz, sometimes. It can cause you to fall down the stairs. It's that good of music. It's that good of a time. Yeah. And my bass player found him on <laughs> covered in blood at the bottom of the stairs, like the fucking staircase, yeah. dude. This it was an owl. This is a redemption tale. It is because Dan has come come very far from that, well, and and as I said, I've come very far from all of these things too. So. Know that a lot of the memories we're going to be sharing today, my future employers and Dan's current, are, when you unlock this episode at Tier 2, um, are uh, old stories yeah, from a I crazier mean, it's remarkable, time, dude. Man. And I can't even say, like, what, I, my biggest summary of the movie was that, like, this is, to some degree, I'm not 100% clear what degree, but to some degree, this is, like, like propaganda. This movie, like well, anti-drug propaganda, but heart- I, I was like, I can't even say that it's propaganda Mm-mm. because it has so much actual overlap with my life to like a disconcerting degree. Listen, it's well researched to the point that the person who wrote it obviously experienced some form of it. Right. Now, I couldn't find Was any. that person me? And then I time traveled. I couldn't find. Yeah. And you would time travel back and be like, Devin Sawa, that's the one. Um, Dude, I was like. There were, like, we started this movie and I was, like, looking at Kat, like, (laughs) did Dan actually see this movie and purposely pick it to fuck with me? (laughs) Like, the kid's parent dies within, like, four minutes of the movie. The first ten minutes, I I turned to my wife and I was like, this is is relatable for me, but too relatable for Dan Endon. Yeah. I was like, this is gonna end him. Dude, we were sitting down with, like, popcorn, ready to have a good time. And like I was immediately, and then God turned a huge mirror in your face and was, said, "Look upon ye." I was like, "Weary traveler." I was like, "I'm, uh, I ate, I ate a fucking ner- weed nerd's rope for this," so I was already being introspective. I, I would say that that's the way to go, though. I was like, "Dude, this is a lot for me." <laughs> he sent me a text that just said, "This is a lot." <laughs> um. Okay. So, all right, you ready to go? Wait. Uh, so wait. Uh, oh, yeah, you have a couple more bands. Yeah, <laughs> playing Quay. Quay. Uh, a math, what, what did the magazine, a math groove outfit, it's, it's fucking, I like the prog rock, Dan likes the disco biscuits thing, I'm, I'm Dan End and I like Umphreys and McGee. Okay, yeah, uh, let's get that straight first, that's yeah. where, that's where a lot of this is heading. Yeah, um, I, And chime in, dear listener, uh, which one of us would you rather hang out with if you didn't know us? Yeah. Um, number one for me, Dan Lyons, and, and write a number two in the comments for Dan Enden. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a dork, I'm a stickler about music, mm-hmm. I fucking, I take it seriously, I he went does. to college for English and music because I hate making money twice. I'm not a dork, 
I completely wing drumming. I learned it all on my own. I've only yeah. taken le- a couple lessons from Mike Greenfield ever in my entire life. And you're a great drummer. And I turned out just fine. So two approaches, two different personalities, as we found out on a secret episode, Dan Eden is autistic. <laughs> Whereas I'm not. Uh, we will be coming out with another episode that might uh, clarify what I am, though. But um, <laughs> Fucking narcissist. <laughs> Dude, I was just about to come out to you. Um, Uh, If I want to get high, I'm going to get high, right? If you don't like it, get the fuck out of here. So so Kat Kat comes, she left midway through the movie and she came back. She was like, I was like, that movie took a lot of turns. And she was like, uh, it did. So was it a PSA or what? And I was, she was like, was it a PSA about like the, the. It was not. I want to get this up front because this keeps being brought up. It was not an anti-drug PSA. No, no. Hold on. So she goes, was it a PSA about the like fish to rehab pipeline i was like yes i was like it was more like it was a cautionary i was like it was more like a psa about the not adequately engaging with your kids right after one of their parents dies to rehab pipeline (laughs) (laughs) that too and cat was like did dad pick this movie to fuck with you (laughs) no how could we not watch this movie sorry dear listener this was supposed to be halloween ends the f- one of the <laughs> right. finest entries in if the there entire isn't a, halloween if franchise there isn't a way for this season to end appropriately it's by dan immediately bailing on the movie he announced the episode where we said we swore we wouldn't <laughs> ask yourself are we going to interview that woman from that movie yeah but like open up your schedule to me <laughs> it's hard to get you it's hard to get you bitch no, it isn't. I just, it's like a Tuesday. Except every time I have a free weekend, you're like, oh, my bad. I'm, I'm casually going to Florida. Okay, well, I go places. Okay, I don't play jam band shows anymore, so I'm in Florida a lot. I don't play jam where band I shows. Where I retire. I play tasteful prog rock shows. Disagree. In a <laughs> band called Quay with uh, Jeff Mann from Consider the Source currently playing drums very nicely. He's a sweet mensch. He's uh, nice. He's amazing. I've played... With lots of people that I wanted to play with, and now I hate all jam band music for the most part. But this movie did Dan wants you to know, too, that he opened for Conspirator at the Electric Factory. I did open. Well, I opened for the New Deal at the Electric Factory, goddammit. I opened for Big Gigantic there, no big deal. Um, Dominic. (laughs) (laughs) That's Dom, baby. Family, baby. Did he sit in with you and ruin your set, too? He did not. Um, That's historically (laughs) his biggest fucking... (laughs) No, I mean, when you invite horns in, you've already ruined your set, if you're the Biscuits, in my opinion, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, if you're the... uh, Yeah, but... uh, Moving on. He's ruined many band sets besides the Biscuits. Let's get this band thing over with, and then we'll go back to the movie. You ready? Oh, yeah, we have this list. All right. Okay. Um, Did did you you do this in the order just to fuck with me? I do everything just to fuck with you. What right. has to do with this podcast? All right. So what's the question? All how right. many times I see the Grateful Dead? How many, Z- zero. Okay. How many times did you see the Grateful Dead? And please give it a GGR out of 10. I've seen the Grateful Dead zero times. You have a pen on your thing. Please uh, write the following things down so we can add it up at the end. I've seen the Grateful Dead zero right. times because Jerry died when I was four. Loser. Um, but the next closest thing would be the quote unquote dead when they did their reunion tour. I'll count that. Um, which I saw... That does count. Six times? Okay, throw a six on there. Because we have to mark that as a concert. I mean, that's got to go under something. Yeah. All right. Uh, zero times for me. Yeah, okay. GGR <laughs> for the Grateful Dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> gonna give the Grateful Dead a fucking, mm-hmm. like, a 8.9 out of 10. 8.9. Strong showing. 
if you asked a uh, 14 through 24 year old me, it would have been like a 19 out of 10. Sure. These days, plus this movie, have definitely led me to reconsider some things. Same score you would have given to OCs. To OCs? Yeah. <laughs> 10 out of 10, regardless. <laughs> Are you kidding? If I want to get high, I'm going to get high, right? If you um, don't like it, there's nothing the wrong with OCs. There's wrong with the user. Okay, uh, Grateful Dead, I saw zero times. Okay. And, um, but what about the dead? M- zero times. Okay. And my opinion of it would be like a 6.75 out of 10 uh, for cultural influence, uh, literary lyrics that are, are far more interesting than most other jam bands, being part of the Americana. And boring me to death. We should. I Terrible guess. music to listen to in 2023. Anyone who occupies more than 43% of their listening space with Grateful Dead music in this current day and age, get a life. Yeah. I, um, the Dead, you know, is a very, very, probably the most important, one of the most important musical turns my life took. And it's just so aggressive. It, it just, white. there's just like, the shit that I really resonated with as a kid, because like I first heard it when I was getting into jazz, is still the stuff that I hear that I'm like, oh yeah, this is the band that like was worth that. But like there was always, it's much like Fish, there's a lot of the catalog that like I kind of just like forced myself to like in the interest of the fact that I was always at the shows on L and like they were gonna happen and I wanted to have fun. But now as someone removed from all that, like I would never listen to again. But like the best of the best dead shit is still like I. Like, I have a, my first tattoo. I got a Grateful Dead tattoo when I was 17. Yuck. As one does. Not me. Yeah. Uh, my mom had to sign a permission slip and everything. You want to see it? Look at that bad boy. Oh, my God. The multi-tiered steely, Dude, I bro. I knew that you had a steely tattoo on your shoulder cap. Yeah, I mean, I don't make it super known. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel good. Yeah. Hold on. I got it. Grateful Dead. Terrapin Station. Help on the way, fucking. I don't listen to hip hop. J Ride. Blues for Allah. You can't write, <laughs> dude. Weather Report Suite. I'm gonna talk about Bob Weir this episode. I do like Weather Report Suite. Yeah, obviously, because you're a fucking human being with a feelings somewhere. Let's move on. Uh, estimated profit, Dan. I do like that song. Uh, there, there are songs that I like. It's just like what it's turned into, and people's unwillingness to evolve past it is what frustrates dude, me. Lost Sailor, Saint of Circumstance. Dude, it's just like. This is music. Warfrat. This is music written like a hundred years ago. Yeah, so it was the Beatles. Fucking. Yeah, but like the Beatles aren't like throwing up like entire cultural linchpins to destroy people's lives still. No one out there right now is like, the Beatles fucked my life up. (laughs) And let me tell you how many people I know who have the same tattoo on your shoulder whose lives are profoundly fucked up because of it. Uh, Moving on. Yeah, that's a (laughs) great. Yeah. J Rad. Okay. Never seen them. Okay. I'm going to assume that they're like a, a fucking eight out of 10. Okay. Because <laughs> okay. I like Tommy and I love Joe Russo. I've seen J Rad. But I think that is a waste of both of their talents. I've seen J Rad four times. On, from a time perspective. I've seen J Rad four times. Oh, okay. That's not too many. And I. I've never, I, each time was at a festival. I, I will, I'm not someone who's going to go see a Grateful Dead cover band, like, by choice. Thank you for your service. Um, because a lot of people don't I have a lot of feelings about Grateful Dead cover bands. Uh-huh. I've played no less than 50 shows with Splintered Sunlight. 
Like, Ugh. I can't. Move on, move on, move on. Uh, like when to- <laughs> when when Tommy sat in with Cocktail, we played a Grateful Dead song. Like, there's just like it's it's enough with the Dead covers. Like, brag. A lot of people listening here are going to be are some. I know you're in a band, and you cover Shakedown Street. Just cut it out, dude. We never have to hear Shakedown Street. Oh by yeah, anyone again. definitely cut it out. I'm fucking, dude. No. Stop one. covering the dead and in general. You know what? It's the fucking simplest dead song, and every time everyone woos on the fucking downbeat instead of the upbeat, like you can't even do it right. And then the band acquiesces to it. Just stop playing Shakedown Street. It's well, enough. No. Stop no, playing disagree. fucking Cross-eyed and Painless. Disagree only on the grounds that Shakedown Street is like one of the only Gravel Dead songs that has any forward momentum. Uh, it is feel in like four a stranger's four. right there, dude. I didn't say that wasn't a good song. I'm just saying like. Don't do either. <laughs> it's enough. Just stay away from the dead in it's general. It's enough. Um, uh, my so- other problem with the dead that I just want to bring up really quick, uh, compared to like, let's say the biscuits or fish, is that fundamentally, and this is not their fault. This is a a, a, a symptom of them being the first and them being the earliest. But Grateful Dead music is like fundamentally an aged thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Fish's music, I would argue, and the Biscuits mostly, except for when they're pandering in certain directions, both jam band and electronic pop, equally guilty. But that music exists in more of a vacuum than The Dead. The Dead is like Bob Dylan Americana music. It is fundamentally rooted it's in, roots music. in a lot of genres that have no presence or very little presence in the bands that came after it. And for that reason, I find it very I would argue that's not true at all. It's just you, very don't engage with, you just don't engage with those scenes on a modern level. Tons of music is still that. Like all the railroad, oh, like oh, the hate, railroad earth type I shit. I hate all of that. Though. I know you do. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but like, it's not like it doesn't still have an occurrence. Like the national. Like yeah, are, well, these are things that aren't like carving some new path in, in this world. Yeah, but these are all really what is. A lot of stuff. Quay. That's all. Wrong. <laughs> People have been wearing dress for, dresses for hundreds <laughs> of years. <laughs> all right, so J-Rad, what did you give it? Eight? You never saw it? Eight out of ten? <laughs> never listened to a second of it. Eight out of ten. Um, so I'm not... You can't rate J-Rad on the same scale as one does as, like, an original band. But in terms of a concert experience, if you're going to go see Grateful Dead music, I'd rather see J-Rad than any incantation of the dead that currently exists. Fair. J-Rad live fucking rules because they do what these songs have been begging to have happen to them forever and, like, treat them like jazz standards where you can go in and out of them and then leave the fucking form and just play and have fun. Okay. Very quality show. I'll give a J-Rad performance a solid 8 out of 10. I would never pay to go see it because their tickets are $70. I don't understand why people are paying $70 to go see a Grateful Dead cover band. I'm sorry, Tommy. I love you. Uh, I love every member of that band very much, but what the fuck? It's still a dead cover band. All of you were in better bands when, like, the rest of the time. They I, they know that. Yeah, of course they know that. You gotta go where the money's at. It's a lot of money. That's why LP G- Goblet is playing... <laughs> Is playing uh, dead music instead of spooky trance. Um, the committee would like it if you pleased kept your answers, especially about things I don't like, more brief. Uh, Moving on. Welcome to my whole fucking life on this podcast, and relax. Rat, rat dog. Uh, zero out of ten for me. You've seen them zero times. It, no, z- like that's my GGR. Okay. Of course, I've seen them zero times. Okay. And takes all the worst parts of the dead, and makes them even worse. Okay. Move I'm, on. I'm gonna say I saw Rat Dog. <laughs> like 16 times 
Okay. Um, okay. I'm going to give Rat Dog a nine out of ten. Okay. Rat Dog is my favorite Dead Side project. I love Rat Dog. I love uh, adding jazzy elements to these songs. People complain it's slow, but the arrangements are meticulous. They have upright bass. It's I'm getting like woozy it. again. Some of my best tripping experiences were at Rat Dog concerts. It's nostalgia. But the last time I had a great time at a dead related show was seeing Rat Dog, and that's it. Love it. Love Bob Weir. Leave it to you to gravitate to something so fundamentally sad. Yeah. <laughs> Dead and go. Oh, you're moving it along. Yep. I, I'm at a zero show so far, so this is not good for my <laughs> for my clout. Um, yeah. Well, when we get to the end of the thing, you're gonna fucking skew in a really weird direction. All right. Dead. <laughs> that's true. Dead and co. Dead and co. Negative ten. Okay. Out of ten. How many times have you seen it? Zero times. Okay. But I have listened to it. Okay. And watched long form videos of it, and find it absolutely detestable. Mickey Hart and Bill playing at the same time in this day and age is like uh, if a, a, a pot, like a pot and pan truck flipped off the highway down a cliff and all those pots and pans uh, pretty much connected on the way down. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me from a rhythm perspective. Absolutely shameful. The only interesting part of it is John Mayer. No, the only interesting part of it is Othiel Burbridge, one of the best fucking Well, he, okay, fine, for, from your point of view, I guess, but like uh, the only thing that really makes it sound different to me in any way is, is what old Johnny Blue Eyes is bringing to the table. That's All what right. they I've seen Dead and Company two times. Sick. I give them a zero out of ten. <laughs> I, I'm nice. not I'm not one of these like fuck dead and slow like I hate it because it's slow. No, like, I, yeah, hate, yeah, I, I hate it yeah. because it sounds bad and boring. <laughs> um, sure. And it's just like to have a bass player of O'Teal's caliber have to play over the cacophony of noise that is that rhythm section of Mickey Hart and Bill Kreutzmann fucking stuttering along. Like, Kreutzmann still has it, dude. Kreutzmann's an animal, like, but like he's not he he's not there to fucking play this fucking slow honky tonk cowboy shit with no. John Mayer fucking dude, John Mayer's vocal articulations, I hate it. It's boring music, the jam is jamming is boring. It's all like it's Are arena rockified. Really so like, wondering what is your take in, in terms of Bill leaving? I, it, I good because Billy and the Kids is fun to see. Yeah. I'll, okay. Yeah. Sure. I like like all these things that I come across at festivals. Like if I'm at a festival and a dead thing is playing, I'm gonna go see it. I just am not gonna go pay to see it separately. But like Billy and the Kids, fucking is awesome because. It's all about who's playing it. You need people who are like hungry and want to be playing the shit and crush. Sure. It's about the energy, Dan. <laughs> Phil and friends. Okay. Very dependent on who the friends are. Sometimes, yeah. Um, how many times have you seen Phil and friends? I would say I've seen them six times, I'm okay. going to say. So I'm finally on the board. Nice. I've seen them six times. And I think that of all the projects... Uh, Phil and Friends is the one I tend to enjoy the most. Um, I think that Phil is a huge drawing point to me for any kind of dead music. Yeah. I see... He's, the, he's what makes it the most interesting. I see Mike Gordon's absorption oh, yeah. of what makes Phil interesting from a bass perspective. And I appreciate that as well. And he's uh, also the reason that most of these dead cover bands suck because like, you can't play bass like Phil. Stop trying. Right. He's got a heavy thumb, dude. I'm going to give Phil and Friends, I guess, like a 7.5. Point, 
nine out of ten, but I don't know. Okay. Don't ask me. I uh, I've seen Phil and Friends. I would estimate about fifteen or sixteen times. Okay. Um, I'm gonna give it an eight point five, and this nice. is when it's worth bringing in that the my first ever experience with acid, what and my first ever experience with a lot show as a lot scene as introduced in this movie. Mm. My whole wandering around with wonderment experience for the first time was at it was the lineup was Phil and Fred's headlining with with, uh, with Joan Osborne on vocals, um, preceded by Grab, which was. Mike Gordon, Trey, Joe Russo, and Marco Benevento, mm. preceded by the Benevento Russo duo. Mm-mm. And those are the days. That was my first acid experience. Trey covered was so strung out and covered "Coming Up Roses" from Elliot Smith. <laughs> I fucking wept like a goddamn baby. Um, proceeded mm-hmm. to become completely. I was fifteen. Mm-hmm was terrified of acid previously was terrified during a fair amount of the experience but then by the end was like i must consume acid every day for the rest of my life healthy um great experience led to some more great experiences phil and friends special part in my life but also went to see phil and friends this past summer and it was truly abhorrent like, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure there's awful. bad shows. Whatever. Also worth noting, like Cat and my one, like I, arguably our first date was at Phil Lesh's birthday celebration at fucking Nokia Theater, where they played all of Abbey Road straight through. Hmm. Had some good times. That's some quality shit. Mm-hmm. Can't beat that. That's what I. That's what I like to see live. The that's Beatles. That's all about the Beatles. Stop, stop covering the dead. <laughs> Agreed. Cover the Beatles. If it's got to be one of the other Beatles. If the Grateful Dead is like Star Trek, then for me, Fish is like Star Wars. Mystical, for children, goofy, heartwarming, satiating, comforting. Fish is all those things to your boy. Yeah. I am not a person who spent a lot of time after Undermind came out getting my hopes up about fish albums or performances when i started seeing fish they retired <laughs> they went on hiatus about three yeah. months or so whatever they converted to their lives becoming nothing at the same time your parents did <laughs> nice dude <laughs> crush that <laughs> that that to the listener is a, a reference to my parents becoming orthodox jews while you were on fish tour while i was on fish tour <laughs> a classic tale that you can read about in the book i will not publish because it will ruin my life <laughs> um literally like the only reason that i hope sometime you have like an untimely death is so that i can publish that book <laughs> <laughs> please tell me you'll work on that You'll have to edit it a little bit more, though, obviously. All I want to do is edit that book, Dad. <laughs> I realized recently that I think I lost the digital copy to it. And that's fine, because if I you, were to... You as such an avid collector of digital well, copies. Well, I had a big, like, email overload at one point. <laughs> <laughs> and I did a big purge. I mean, like, luckily, the... it's only, like, 9,000 pages to scan. Yeah. It... <laughs> I'm just going to rewrite it and edit it as I rewrite it and make it less verbose, because it is very verbose. I was even thinking about reading a brief chapter of it on air today about the biscuits. There's basically one chapter 
where I summate my opinions about what the doo doo bagglers mean to me in the least Save obnoxious the way. Patreon, dude. In the least obnoxious way that I can. Dude, that's what the Patreon should be, which is a series of episodes of you reading a chapter by chapter. I want to try to record an audiobook. Anyway, this is... <laughs> This is this is gonna end up on the Patreon. I'll play your parents in the book. Um, in the audio. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> if you did all the characters uh, and I just did narration interstitial, that would be great. Um, <sighs> all right, uh, fish. For me, uh, the greatest visual technical marvel of a jam band. Their special effects to this day are unmatched. Again, Star Wars reference. Keep rolling with it and. Long and short of it is, I think Fish is cool. I don't get too worked up about it. I don't think about it too hard. I don't listen to it in my car. I just go like once every one to two years, have a ball. Reminds me of my teenagerdom. 10 out of 10 for Fish. All right. And you've seen them how many times? I'm going to guess, realistically, based on like the last time I did have like a green board account, plus like whenever they came back from 09 to now. I mean, I've only probably seen them 20 times since then. So I'd assume I've seen Fish 60 times. Okay. That's um, a fair estimate. Yeah. Go ahead. I have a complicated relationship with Fish. Um, if the dead was <laughs> Like my... Gordon touched you. <laughs> yeah. You were the little kid. God, I wish. <laughs> if, uh... If the... <laughs> Do you? <laughs> um, if the dead was like my entry Hold point... Hold on to your butts. The Dead and Mo were like my entry points. Uh, Fish was the band, the first band that made me start thinking about music like in a complicated way. Okay, it definitely like set me on that path. It got me. Fish was my transition to jazz. Um, Fish for a long time in my life was like the alpha and the omega. Like I went, I was in like serious competitive jazz band in high school and senior year. I brought in the It DVD. To show our jazz director and the whole class punch you in the eye because I wanted us to play the landlady at our fucking Berkeley uh, competition, and they were all like, "What the fuck is this?" That's fire. Um, I, I love it. I absolutely, general. yeah. My first time getting stoned was my watching it on DVD. It was the first time I heard Fish. Was the first time I was stoned. That's funny. Um, in college, my roommates hated it because I would use the big screen TV to just watch fucking fish bootleg. I traded fish CDs through the mail in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, loved fish. They got back together. I saw a lot of those. But the thing with fish was always that, like, it's much like our relationships to the biscuits in that what I loved about fish was, like, Yam and Divided Sky and all these classical compositions. And then all their songs I really just kind of fucking hated. Mm-hmm. But, like, I just would skip to the jams, and that was fine. Um, then, you know, you, you spend 10 years in a jam band. You learn a lot of the tricks and all the things that used to blow my mind as a musician, like a, a burgeoning musician of, like, how could they have done this improv-wise? Sure. Then you kind of figure out exactly how they do that improv-wise, and a lot of the magic gets lost. And then they started writing a lot of songs I fucking hate, and I just stopped eating drugs, and I discovered quickly that like i don't have much fun at a fish concert if i'm not on drugs Mm -hmm. i don't hate it by any means but it's just kind of nothing to me anymore it's really like the biggest thing that had the most impact and now has zero impact on my life sure um i'm sure my gordon influenced my bass playing to some degree but like really in as much as he was channeling what phil was already doing to my bass playing um mike gordon kind of taught me how to approach the bass in that musical of a style without 
being in the forefront of things and really like over muddying it. Mm -hmm. But aside from that, I just don't care anymore. I, it does nothing for me. The green board is a fucking cesspool. The fish fan base in particular is like made up of demographics that I really don't care for overwhelmingly. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I've, I would get I would guess that I've seen fish like forty to five times. Okay. Um, get it well, on the board. Forty five. What's your GGR fish? Uh, like, I get like, it's like I'm someone who like I'm like I'll throw on ninety three fish still in the car and I'll be like yeah this is ripping. I love like two, but then I hear like okay. I hear like a current fish show and I'm like the fuck is this dude. <laughs> The fuck <laughs> is this? All right, okay. So I'm going to give Fish, like, a, a fucking 7 out of 10. Tough, but fair. Because you're just one of those people that I, I would imagine are begrudged by some of the things they do, but I just don't give a fuck. But, like, if I... Dude, if there was a, if a time came tomorrow where I was, like, my... Oh, and, and all Trey of is my the greatest living guitar player on Earth. That's insane. Um... Get, but there was in a, the jam band scene, a hundred percent. There was a time when I did, outside of the jam band scene, very. There was very a time high. when I did believe that. That time is not now. Um, I, if there was a time tomorrow where magically, like I never had, I don't have my neuroses and my anxiety issues, and I was like, I'm gonna start eating acid again. A fish concert's where I would want to do it, mm -hmm. but I don't, so I don't. Good story. Brothers past. Brothers past. The goats. I think these guys are great. I love their music. Anybody who's listening to this who's never heard of Brothers Pass, please seek them out. I'm sure all their music is free on the internet somewhere. Not the most accessible. Not the most accessible. Kind of more of an emo, like, hip vibe to it than the normal jam band. But um, their jams went to places that no band before or after, I feel like, has tapped into. Really raw, primal, fucking electronic shit that... I've tried to emulate in my own playing space and it's so fucking difficult. I mean, Rick Lowenberg is one of the most telepathic drummers I've ever come across in my entire life. Clearly, he doesn't have much clout in the scene anymore and really isn't in it at all. Um, but he had a huge influence on my uh, brain's ability to process what could be done on a, on a drum set um, in terms of drumming. Very early in my career, I got to know him very well and we like played shows where we were playing on each other's drums and the first major show that I played was in a cafeteria at Binghamton University. Binghamtronica. Um, I almost went to that. And uh, it was Solaris's first like show on a stage. Yeah. Ever. And we were opening for BP. Yeah. I and remember. that was an absolute trip. I remember. I was very nearly there. Um, and that was uh, a rad experience and just shout out to that band for giving us a shot a few times and, um, just holy shit, incredible band. I've probably saw them 30 times. Okay. Would be my guess. Okay. And it could be more than that, but it could be less. So I'm going to say 30 times, but wish I saw every single show they ever played. I used to go see them in Thanksgiving on Wilkes-Barre every single year in Pennsylvania and would throw up all over the place and black out every single time. Great times. Great, Greatest great. times of my life. Great times. All right. Um, my relationship with Brothers Past is a little bit unique as, it, as they were something that was always tangential to things I were getting into, but um, my, their percep my perception of them preceded me and that like what I had heard from them was like, boy. Mm -hmm. and, and I was like, I, this, I don't care. 
Um, I was already, <laughs> I, I, I was, I was already seeing the biscuits and the nudie a lot by that point. So I was okay. like, I don't, and already that was like a stretch and like a new thing for me. I didn't really like have space for more of like, I was already like prying open my inherent aversion to electronic music. Sure. So I skipped it for a long time. Um, I would say the, honestly, what got me to see them was y'all and Insolaris really fucking hyping them so hard. Um, the first time I saw them is when we all went super early to City Bisco to see them. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get it at all. I found it really weird. Um, really? But later on... That's really shitty of you. Later on, <laughs> I ended up catching up a couple more times. I ended up seeing Brothers Pass, I think, four times. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like music that I respect more than I actually like. But like... I had a period where I listened to it a lot. They they accomplish in that realm what like is actually impressive about the potential of that genre. Yeah, they in a, stretched in it a way, way that in a way that I feel like people who simp for that genre like I'm not understanding what you're taking from it if that's not what you're striving for. Sure. And, um, and Clay Parnell on bass. Yeah, Clay is amazing. Uh, Rick is just an absolute god. What like he does with electronic music. Clay is incredible. So yeah, um, Clay. Had a massive influence. You you always talk about my bass tones being very squishy. That's all shit. Like that's the biggest influence Clay had on me for sure. Love a good squish. Um, How many times do you think you saw him? Like four. Clay's also been like four. Super, yeah. Jeez. Clay, Clay's been like super cool to me when we've played festivals together and like talked to me about bass and stuff and like guided me with tones and things. Just good guys. Um, Solid dudes. Yeah. I uh, I wish I got to see them more, but you know. We, we, me and you played with Rick Lowenberg. <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Brothers Pass. Oh, here's an important thing, and we didn't talk about this with Fish either, but Just like Brothers quick. Pass has the, an important distinction that re- like really has a lot of weight for me in this world, which is that they're one of the few jam bands to have ever made a great studio album. Right. This feeling is called Goodbye, one of the best studio albums ever made by Jam Band. Yeah, fantastic. And, like, that's a lost <laughs> art in this scene. I used to use that album as, like, the fall-time hangout music with me and my first girlfriend at the time. And it has a, a literal permanent effect on me listening to that album. It's just, like, total total nostalgia in every single way. And it's just still so good. I still listen to it every once in a while. Um, and very soon after, I really started idolizing them. I played that Binghamtronica show and my first surreal moment and one of my first real surreal moments with anybody from these bands that I ended up either knowing or beyond was Rick Lowenberg was walking through the hallways of (laughs) the Binghamton University where we were at and we went into a uh, classroom and I had like drums staged in there for turnover at some point and we were both like snorting k together and underneath my low tom like both just like laying down on our backs like basically tripping out underneath my drum and i just remember thinking to myself like this is fucking insanity rick lowenberg probably could have done well to see this movie for sure it would have definitely helped him (laughs) become a lawyer faster um (laughs) Uh, anyway, uh, Brothers Past, great times. Um, did you give them a GGR? I'm going to give Brothers Past an 8 out of 10. 
Nice. Because I never really delved into their music until I was playing with Tommy and I had to like learn the songs because American Babies was playing them. And then like it was like I was listening to it with a much more mature lens at mm. that point and was like, I remember I went back to him. I was like, damn, some of this shit's really good. Shit he smokes, like, dude. And he was just like, yeah, Babies is the future, bro. Moving on. Yep. Um, <laughs> I would give Brothers Pass an 8.75. Cool. Um, the New Deal uh, taught me how um, Molly and um, bass drums could possibly intersect inside my body and rip my soul apart. And uh, when I was like 16, I was experimenting with bass drums and Molly specifically. And when you were 16, <laughs> when you were 26. Yeah. Uh, and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, the New Deal had a huge effect on me. I think. Uh, you know, after a certain point, forget about it. Like, I don't like any of their newer iterations. Yeah. I think Jamie Shields is one of the more obnoxious players in the history of music. Um, long story short, uh, not a fan of it now. Was a huge fan of it then. I would give the New Deal like a 7 out of 10. They did a certain thing at a certain time before their drummer became a Scientologist, which was unfuckwithable and incredible. Probably the most energetic jam music ever fucking created at a certain time and place. And they should get their flowers for that. Yeah. So I'll give them a seven out of 10. I think I saw the new deal. I would say 45 times. Okay. Rough estimate. Um, I adjusted for inflation. Joe the, Biden. The, <laughs> the new deal was the very, very first thing I was shown that opened up my willingness to even like entertain the idea of electronic music in any facet. Sure. Good starting um, place. My, uh, first friend who became old enough to get a car, picked me up the day he got his car to El Cruz. He put in a cassette tape of their self-titled album. I heard Back to the Middle. We listened to that shit on repeat. Blunt cruising all day. Totally rocked my world. Um, I would wager I saw the New Deal about 20 times. I saw their last show with the OG lineup on Jam Cruise. Um, I have had some of the most fun of my life in concerts on uh, Ingestance. At New Deal concerts. Pepto-Bismol. I am willing to bypass and totally ignore the existence of all of their return shit. Yeah, why not? Um, (laughs) Even though their last album they came out with I thought was listenable. Some of those albums were good. But I, to me, the New Deal is self-titled Gone, 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 Live in Toronto. That streak, that is an unbeatable streak of releases from a band that was just doing shit that was just so fucking such a big ask like going on a fucking like late night stage at all good to 40,000 people and playing a two song set That's and just really do, going baby. for it like I it really informed a lot of what I thought of like what I feel about playing a live show and what is okay if you are confident in your musicianship sure um, I'm gonna give the new deal a 9.5 out of 10 <laughs> Okay. I lo- <laughs> that is bananas. I love <laughs> that is too much. I love the New Deal. You have gone too far. I sir. really love the New Deal. Really don't like how far you're taking this. I love it. I love what they did. I I, I listened to Gone 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 a few weeks ago. And I was like, yep, still love this. So you rated the New Deal higher than Fish? Yeah, yeah. I'd rather listen to the New Deal than Fish. Apparently, <laughs> that is fucking wild. In terms of impact on my life, Fish way more. But Fish just has too much material that I fucking absolutely abhor to like. Whereas New the New Deal has one. New Deal song. didn't exist long enough to. to Whereas to the do New that Deal starts and ends with Octobong. Yeah, and I have I love it. Let's talk about the biscuits. Okay. 
quick <laughs> review for me. Oh, Love the biscuits. They ruined my life. 10 out of 10, Dan Enden. Yeah, Dan is, uh, when you see those stickers that say the Disco Biscuits ruined my life, like... Shut up, dude. I run a fucking company. Relax. Okay. It could be worse. It could be worse. Lots of asterisks on the last thing yeah, I said. Yeah, you just can't see yourself in the mirror anymore. Yeah, well, uh, you know... <laughs> it's like, <laughs> told you one of the more crippling <laughs> things about my life. <laughs> you use it constantly against me. Oh, really? Is that something that you don't care for? <laughs> Not really. Um, <laughs> you bring it up all the time. <laughs> not as much as you bring up my dad dying. Well, he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, agreed. <laughs> um, the Biscuits, 10 yeah. out of 10. They advanced uh, the jam band scene uh, with the times, which is what anyone should do with anything uh, art related. I really am not a fan of stagnation. Dan Enden is a huge fan of stagnation. My likes and dislikes, even in the movie world, uh, are based around new and fresh. Not garbage, not because it's in a franchise. I like to see where things are heading culturally. I'm interested in that from a musical perspective. The music I listen to now has absolutely nothing to do with jam bands. I listen to jam bands never at this point. I'm completely off the road. I will say that if I'm going to listen to them, it's going to be The Biscuits because The Biscuits have the single best... Uh, collection of previous music that you can ever find uh, from a jam band and simultaneously also the worst. They're a 10 out of 10. They're also a 0 out of 10. They are Schrodinger's jam band. They are at all times good and terrible. They are at all times organized, in touch with their fan base, and disorganized, delusional, and completely off base. They are all the things that you would love and hate about a jam band, but from the town I grew up in, with all of the people I know, they're the fucking bomb shit. Sammy was the biggest single influence on me. From a musical perspective of anyone besides Fishman, huge fan of the Biscuits. Sure, they have bad eras, but they're always reinventing themselves, except for that time where they didn't for like eight years. I did not appreciate that period of time. Looking for reparations. Trying to get a number together of what tickets I can be refunded on the basis that the Biscuits declared separate was over, I see that as a creative admission of negligence. I'm going to be commanding money back from them for merch, losses, soundboards that I paid for. They're no longer available on nugs.net. Brewing up a lawsuit now. Thank you, You also won an auction that they didn't honor. Right, yeah. I won uh, an auction for Planet Anthem where I was supposed to do the... Uh, On stage at Camp Bisco for basis. It would have sounded just like I did it, but better. Because they would have put more reverb on it. Mm. And uh, yeah, I've it's the biscuits, it's uh I think for many of us, uh battered housewife syndrome. I uh, keep coming back, my cop husband keeps punching me <laughs> punching me in the face, and on and on, and back the blue forever. Biscuits for life. Fuck anyone who says any differently. And Umphrey sucks. Dan, thoughts? 10 out of 10. Um, 10 out of 10 for a jam band. 7 out of 10 for the music I've experienced as a human being. Right. Move on. Yeah, I mean, I don't... We don't need to go as far as we always go about the Disco Biscuits. It's been tread and tread again. Um, 
I fucking adore the Disco Biscuits up to a point. There is a 20-year span of music from the Disco Biscuits that is, or an 11-year span of music from the Disco Biscuits that is borderline unmatched in what they brought forward. Um, I think to a degree they are incredibly unfairly maligned. At the same time, I think they have more than deserved to foster the reputation that leads to these characterizations of their perception. Um, wrote some of the absolute greatest compositions that the scene ever saw. High Speed Racer. Um, saw some Had some of the most religious goddamn concert experience I ever had at their show. Have also walked out of numerous of the shows. Mm-hmm. I do not respect the way that they run their organization. I think they treat their fans like shit. True. I think they are <laughs> filled with hubris and just like really kind like really like there's all there's the whole thing about like Trey could piss into the audience ears and the fish fans would laugh it up. Like apply that. At least fish fans are critical of the band. Like well the biscuits there are lots of critical Biscuits fans, but they're usually eaten alive by the general public and, and uh, cursed out as witches and caused to live lives of solemn shame. <laughs> their fan base... Shout out James Nakarudo, Garufi. <laughs> their fan base maniac. overwhelmingly, I feel, gets out of the band exactly the worst aspects of the band without seeing the brilliant, actual brilliance of the band as evidenced by the fact that for the last 10 years they were able to completely phone it in and play complete dog shit shows, but as long as there was a four-on-the-floor backbeat, everyone would go home and say best night ever because that's what sounds good when you're on that much ketamine. Um, Molly for me. I just... I struggle with a band that just so willingly does not give a fuck and still is willing to charge people out the ass for it and just not live up to their promises. They I find are it very punk rock and super irresponsible. They're, they do shit like fucking say that there is a free a new album that's going to come with their tickets. Sometimes this then irresponsibility... They, don't record, they didn't even record the album. Sometimes their irresponsibility swings in the right direction, though. And they pull off things like like an unannounced Tron show that, right. had it been announced and done correctly, could have been a completely different experience, but the fact that it was out of nowhere... I mean, it, 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 you have to be standing in the field to be hit by the lightning. You know what yeah. I mean? My ire towards them is similar to that of everyone in my personal lives ire towards me, which is that it's just such such a high level of potential. Can't wait for this. It's just such a high level of potential that is constantly self-sabotaging. <laughs> like, I'll take this. The, this the, is good. The Disco Biscuits very easily, like easily, mm. could, could have been and established and recognized across the board as the pioneers and the best thing that ever happened to jam bandom but they could not stop tripping themselves over their own fucking shoelaces and doing everything to undercut the goddamn innovation and amazing shit they were doing i have never heard a band take risks improvisationally at that degree of energy and those tempos and nail things that just has no choice but to make even the biggest hater in the crowd turn into a fucking jungle swamp beast because you cannot avoid the sheer energy of it. 
and then the next night come out and not know how to play any of their own songs and stumble around like drunk fucking morons on stage. <laughs> it's fucking despicable. It's human, man. Dude, no. They're a fucking <laughs> professional rock band full of rich Jews. They can go fucking rehearse right. and play a show that they're charging $70 a ticket for. It's fucking dumb. So, Dan, GGR for the Biscuits, and how many times have you seen them? I stopped counting, but I'm going to guess that I've seen the Disco Biscuits about 90 times. Okay. And what would you give them? I'm giving the Disco Biscuits a 7.9. Lower than the New Deal. But in terms of impact on my life, much higher. But I really struggle. I struggle with them as people. I struggle with the fact that... He needs what uh, my wife Rachel needed for many years, which is uh, a profession that does not exist yet, but I am thinking of being the first one. And that's a biscuits therapist. Somebody that you can just complain to endlessly about your gripes about a band, that it's better that they're alive than... I mean, it's the same reason I fucking got so frustrated with Fish, because I'm just like, I can't wrap my... As someone who takes music so seriously, I can't wrap my head around being that caliber of musician with that degree of compositional talent and then choosing to phone it in. I just don't get it. It's called money, baby. It bums me out. It's called my kids. My kids need to go to college. They're the only band that has, like, made me feel, like, profound disappointment, and I don't want that from an entertainment entity. Entity. True that. I'm going to say I've seen the Biscuits 250 times at this point. It's a lot of times. Since I was 15 years old. Shout out to Matt After, member of the rental zone, actually, now, and um, guy who brought me to my first fish and biscuit show. You ruined my life, too. Love you. String cheese. Seen them probably six times. Okay. It's too hillbilly for me, but I love, um, like, I did love Ioto at a point. I love the rhythm section. And Jason Hahn, is that his name? Is an incredible musician. I mean, for, Drummer's a, jam- a, Nazi. for a jam band, like, I don't know, seven out of ten, because they play really big shows, and people seem to like them, but it's not really for me. But when I did see them, I found them very entertaining, and at some show in Philly, all these jellyfish came out and they were passing them around and there's a lot of production value just doing what a jam band that makes music that I don't like does but doing it well enough that they still have fans uh, 7 out of 10, 6 times Dan um, are you looking up your string cheese stats right now please tell me that's not what you're doing no it's not what I'm doing oh thank god but sorry for the are you texting on mic right now? Alright, String Cheese Incident. Um, this is a band I have incredibly strong feelings about. Okay. I've seen String Cheese Incident exactly seven times. Oh, you have strong feelings about a band on this list? Yeah. I've seen String Cheese Incident seven times. Alright, that's one more time than me. Nice. Um, in my friend group my main friend group um string cheese incident is the be-all end-all mm-hmm. they love string cheese i have been exposed to such an extreme amount of string cheese incident i cannot explain it to you don't like that um i spent a great deal of time trying to get myself into string cheese including traveling to numerous multi-night run shows just so that like no one could pull the like oh you just caught a bad show 
I tra I've traveled to see them. I have eaten acid at their shows. There is no jam band that I hate more than the String Cheese Incident. It's not even close. Zero out of ten. Mm -hmm. Everything that is <laughs> comical and parodied about jam bandom, I assume, is just String Cheese Incident. Their compositions are, for the most part, incredibly lame. They, it is the most white privileged music I've ever heard in my life. All of their songs are about being outside. There should never be a situation where 40,000 people are outside screaming, let's go outside, let's go outside. Like that is the music of people who have never felt a degree of conflict or opposition in their life. They sound like music from a white boarding school in the fucking woods. I hate it. It's so lame. It's a bunch of, and people are like, oh, they do, they genre shift like the way Fish does. They do. Except they go, they do jazz parts while playing jazz poorly. They play really weak bluegrass. They play really weak, really shitty white Latin music. And then they decided, hey, let's start playing electronic music really fucking poorly. It's just I... um, an amalgam of trash topped with white over toxic positivity. <laughs> It sucks. It sucks. The only member in that band who is actually a top shelf musician is Kyle Hollingsworth. Fuck String Cheese. That music is the epitome of jam bandery garbage. I think that I would rather see String Cheese than our next band, Umphreys McGee. If I was offered one or the other, I would 100% choose String Cheese. <laughs> Humphreys McGee is... Dan hates Humphreys McGee. Every bad, misguided, bro-force level douchebag take of the jam scene in a post-Dave Matthews band world that nobody should have wanted or asked for. There's already music to drink to and act like a homo to. It's not got to be a jam band. The two things are not enjoyable rubbed up against each other. It's a cultural shift I don't appreciate and a band that I think always sounds exactly the same every time I listen to them they never don't sound like Umphreys because they are populated by overwrought guitar work that is so distracting and so out of place and so obnoxious their rhythm section is incredible their drummer is one of the finest drummers I've ever witnessed with my eyes that has absolutely no bearing on what Umphreys is overall because, unfortunately, no matter how good you are as a drummer, in a jam band that's... And this is speaking as a drummer since I was seven years old, the most interchangeable element. Uh, it can have the most effect on your jam band, but it is the one that when the drummer bails out and realizes they want to be an adult and stop acting like a petulant child, that they can grow up and leave and be replaced... Chris Myers could never be replaced. Shout out Jeff Mann and Quay for those exact reasons. <laughs> and the long and short of it, as somebody who's replaced drummers in bands, both drummer duos, jam bands, and beyond, um, one man cannot save a whole ship. And Umphreys is a dead-on-arrival experience every time I've seen them. I have seen Umphreys, I would say, 40 times easily. And I have liked zero out of 40 of those sets. I've experienced them all fully. Many of them I experienced on tremendous amounts of smooth jazz to try to really give them a new shot in multiple festivals that I've played, that they've played, that the Biscuits have played. Really find them to be irredeemably bro-y, boring, and they 
should wrap it up because all of their new music makes Fish's new music seem like Mozart. Humphreys McGee, 2 out of 10. Terrible, terrible music. Dan and Dan, go for it. All right, Humphreys McGee. Um, recently, I'm not going to go through it, but <laughs> recently on the My Drug Band group, I wrote a very highly touted and popularized thesis sure. on, on why the premise is why objecting Humphreys McGee is objectively better than your drug band. Um, I'm not going to go through all of it, but there. You wrote this? I did. Thank Christ you didn't say it. It's me an out. entire treatise. Um, oh my God! Damn. But the things I want to touch on about Umphreys McGee is I understand very, very easily why it's not everyone's cup of tea. It is very alienating music for a lot of degrees, but there are things about them that I give them infinite, infinite passes on their faux pas because of. Um, we talked about the drumming. We didn't talk about Jake, but the reality is that band is a professional rock outfit, and whether you like the music or not, I feel they should be the gold standard that everyone's particular flavor of wookery should be held to for what you expect when you go to a concert. Um, All men. They are the only large-scale jam band who executes four-part vocal harmonies. <laughs> they are one of the few jam bands who has ever made a great studio album. They are one of the only jam bands with thoughtful and good lyrics. Um, the worst, there's, they're the only jam band where you can't go dig up a show where they're playing like absolute garbage for a night because it doesn't exist. They rehearse before every show. They are just a well-run organization. That's true. Who made immeasurable, this in, I can agree immeasurable with. innovations when it came to fan engagement. They yeah. were the first band where you could go to a show and leave with a CD of the soundboard as you were leaving. <laughs> <laughs> the first band where you could go interact with, you know, also there's tons a, of gimmicky bullshit, but you could go, you could direct their jams with your cell phone, you could do all sorts of shit. I get why people so hate it. Lame. They wrote, they made composite, they've direct made director jams with your cell phone. They made so many compositions that I just find truly remarkable. Okay. Jake Sinninger and Chris Myers. I thought it was pronounced Sinninger. Sinninger. Really? Yeah. S say it again. Sinninger. I'm gonna have to put a sensor boot over that. Um, <laughs> the uh, doesn't sound right, dude. I don't think you're right about that. That's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't even put Lotus on this list. Delete this episode. The uh, the I just I I like them. I like them. You love them. They're they're they put. But the way you rate them higher. What did you give the New Deal? A nine point five. Yeah. So what, what, are, are. what are you going to give them? I'm, I'm giving Humphreys <laughs> McGee a 10 out of 10. Okay. Um, that makes sense. I've seen Humphreys McGee, I would estimate, 145 times. Oh, fuck, man. Um, I met my fiance at an Humphreys show. Um, they, I played in an Humphreys tribute band at festivals numerous times. Um, I don't... At this point in my life, they have far more albums that I think are absolutely abhorrent than albums that I like. Mm -hmm. I don't care for their new direction at all, but I know when I go to see them, it's going to be played well with vigor, and I know what I can expect, and the fact that Jake Sinninger and Chris Myers are musicians of that caliber relegated to Wook World is laughable. Uh, there are very few musicians in the entire scene that I feel even touch their degree of Wait. academic musicianship. <laughs> Who are the members again? Fully. So we got Jake, Chris Myers, Brandon Bayless, Stasic, uh, Joel Cummins, 
and Andy Farrig. Hmm. Um, Man, a lot of those last names sound like curse words. The I feel <laughs> there are really only probably four, five musicians in all of jam bandom mm-hmm. that could hold up at the world class musical like giving clinics level. Dan Enden, Dan Enden, Dan Enden, Chris Myers, Jeff Sipe, and Jimmy Herring, and me. They're a great band. I, I, if you don't like it, that's fine. But they are fair. objectively a fantastic band. Agreed that they are objectively good at playing music. And um, yeah, even though I don't listen to them anymore, even though I've only seen them probably five times in the last five, six years, um, very special place in my heart. Um, and just cool guys. I love Umphreys. Umphreys for life. They are the best. Umphrell. Umphrell. I'm Pharrell. I, but if the Disco Biscuits ruined your life, I'm pretty sure his shit ruined my life. Well, that's why they hand out reba- rehab coins to everybody, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, Goose and Spafford. Haven't seen either of them. Zero out of ten, both. Um, <laughs> I saw, so, um, the... I didn't put Twiddle on this. I've seen Twiddle probably ten times. So my current band, uh, the guitarist and now former drummer, previously were in a small Philly band called Tectonic. The only time I saw Goose was opening for Tectonic at Silk City mm-hmm. uh, to, with seven other people. Mm-hmm. It was abhorrent. We spent the entire time laughing at the jambandery of it all. <laughs> Years later, when I started seeing them show up on festival lineups, I was like, surely that's not that same band. Sure. It was, that is music for children. Okay. Um, everyone who loves Goose, just like... Stop. I, I, it's just like this movie is for you right now. You're trying to latch on to something that doesn't exist anymore, which is a burgeoning jam band scene. It's gone. It's commercialized. Mm. It doesn't exist anymore. You're falling for a marketing trap. Their music is not innovative in any way. There are no top shelf musicians in that band. It is in- aggressively average fish cover music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you want to hear music like that, go listen to The Jaunty and hear actual top shelf musicians. Either way, the world does not need more bands that sound like the Spin Doctors. <laughs> it's done. It's, wow. It's fucking done. Wetlands is done. What a comparison. It's fucking done, dude. The All music right. stinks. Zero out of ten. One band. But that... good studio band. Okay. Here's the thing. And they came out with I an album. I mean, they seem like they're fine musicians. They came out with an album uh, last year. I've kept up with it. I listened to every single Goose song that fucking exists. I listened to their album, and I was like, oh, they're going in an interesting like indie pop direction. This is really cool. This sounds like a band. And then I go online. All the Goose fans are hating it. They sold out. Like, yeah, because they're not... Because no bouncy fucking clav fish music, it's over. The world is done with white funk, finally. Just fucking stop. <laughs> it's not fucking cool. It's so lame and borderline racist. It just sucks. White people need to stop playing funk. Just stop. You're bad at it. The drummer's not good enough for it. Right. It's fucking lame, dude. The band's just <laughs> lame as shit. Like, string cheese already happened. You don't need goose. Go off, king. It's bad. Loving this. It's bad. Zero out of ten goose. Saw them one time. We'll never see them again. I got it. The worst. <laughs> They had Silk City laughing at them. Right. Go fuck yourselves. Stop trying to rekindle a dead thing. It finally died. Goose. What you just said in in totality is what I feel about all jam band music. I am forever Kylo Ren screaming to kill the past 
it is the exact thing that makes my dislike of the dead and the dead related properties so potent I just want society to keep moving forward artistically I only see good leaps in artistic freedom in uh, basically like indie pop music that I listen to at this point uh, if you're not going to move the jam scene forward, just let the entire thing just die. And that goes to people who were moving it forward, not going to say any names. That could still be moving it forward. I probably saw Soundtribe 40 times. I probably saw Lotus 40 times. I probably saw Twiddle 10 times and would rather see Twiddle than Humphreys. Learning com comparisons like that you'd like to make. That you would rather see this than, than, than that. I'd rather see Modesky Martinwood than any band on this list. Fair enough. Um, I'd Those are some pretty talented guys. <laughs> I'd rather see Antibalas than any band on this list. I don't listen to hip-hop. Um, um, you know, Soundtribe, that's like another band that like did shit that really fucking rocked my world and me had too. a huge impact me on me and then became rapidly a band that I absolutely abhor. I think their current state is their most obnoxious, actually. Um, when Zach Felmer becomes the the sound the uh, like the voice of the band, it's it's like when Jamie Shields became the voice of the New Deal. It's just yeah. piercing to me. They had that DVD. I forget it was called. Pick like, it up, pick it up. Do you remember that DVD they came out with right after the Artifact Era? It was like live from the fucking transmission, whatever the fuck. I don't know. Sure. It was one of the most innovative concert DVDs I ever saw. There was like fucking camera movement all around the stage. It was really fucking cool. In college, I used to watch it all the time. I listen to Artifact every now and then, and I'm like, man, what a cool, just chill band. It's like when I have people over for a dinner party, I'll put on Artifact. Sure. Like, they made some incredible music both in and really, out of the studio. Really, really deep incredible. improv, even though their whole vibe was very corny back then. But like, you know. In 2001, they were quite possibly the best version of any jam band during any Yeah, event. I played, you know. 2001 Soundtribe is unlike any music your, your ears will ever hear. Yeah, I played a show with Up Until Now, Murph's thing, and hung out with Murph and that guy's the worst just one of the worst people i ever met mm. um i i don't know i the, there's like this on this overarching theme in the jam band community of like these bands achieving degrees of success that should have been thought impossible for how niche what they were doing is and then like taking that and like the, allowing their egos to take them to a place of like what if we just started doing the exact opposite of what everyone loves us for because we feel like it? Sure. And Sound Tribe, I, man, I don't know, man. Hammerstrike, oh no, Hammerstrike was Lotus. What was the uh, Peace Blaster? Peace, when Peace Blaster came out, I was like, what is, this is going in a weird direction. And then from there forward, I was done. I was off. Oh, I love, and shout out to bands like Zugma. I love like the intersection between like rap lyrics sampled in jam bands. That's a huge vibe for me at one point in my life. Soundtribe did it, Lotus did it, Biscuits did it. All the bands that were pushing things forward did it. Yeah. And for a while, I don't think things were being pushed forward. And now, like, the Biscuits are doing that. But for me, it's, it's, um, kind of how I feel about Star Trek at this point, where even though. Apparently, Picard season three is one of the best pieces of Star Trek that they've made in 20 years. I can't even bring myself to consume it because I am so toxified by the environment of it. I just don't agree and that the Biscuits are pushing things forward. They're pushing well, things forward in the year 2012. Like, they're, yeah, like, doing what they should have continued it's doing. what I was also, about to say Also, they were, like, is... fucking cowards because they totally fucking folded when their fan base stopped, like, it, like, gave them shit about their fucking music. And their response was to be total babies and just not write music for 10 years. 
Right. And there are a lot of things to be said about that, of like, course. Grow but, the fuck up. <laughs> but they're trying now, and yeah, I, I give them uh, like a half dozen flowers for trying now, not a full dozen. They've set their bar so irresponsibly low that like them coming out with like a song that they wrote backstage before going on stage and still played wrong, the fan base is like, look at them. This is better than Hot Air Balloon. Well, it, that that is the most reference to what would be Champions. That was written backstage, and then that was like the first thing they had done in like years at that point but yeah stagnancy not a fan of it not a fan of it in any band uh, and reversion like they went backwards like they went they started playing jam bandery funk like well that's no one needs that from the disco biscuit. at the time the entire jam scene was collapsing and things like twiddle were absolutely soaring and yeah I, th- I think they looked at that and were like people aren't going for this electronica thing as much as they're used to and just like wanted to have fun with it and play white funk yeah it didn't occur to them that the reason people weren't going for it is because they were playing it like absolute dog shit <laughs> i would argue there's some good shows in every year of the biscuits history but they did have some rough patches um and with that i'd say we should bring this exercise to a close i mean without adding it up i'd say Wait, we didn't do spafford are we doing Spafford? Is that not the same thing as Goose? Just like a band that shouldn't exist and sounds like fish? Um, no. I've seen Spafford zero times, but I've listened to a lot of it. And, like, I have no interest in it because it's still a band for, like, younger people getting into jam bands. Mm-hmm. But, like, in that world... Okay, you asked me, like, listen to this instead of that. Like, Spafford is better than Goose by a lot. Like, by a lot, a lot. Spafford... Is, I would assume that's the case. Spafford has some really good musicians in it. Um their compositions have flashes of really like unique compositional uh ability but they fall into jam band traps a lot but they do shows that are like fully improv and their improv is good they're a solid band if i was 20 i could see myself really getting into seeing spafford and like you know eating molly and going to see them Mm -hmm. um another band like that is aqueous who just broke up Aqueous was a band that I thought should have been getting the success Goose was because they are the only jam band I've heard in years that actually wrote good songs um, and were full of good musicians. Um, But yeah, I don't care about any of it. I never saw Spafford. I don't care to. But like for what it is, I give them like a 6.2 out of 10. Mm -hmm. they're, They're at least trying to not just like replicate fish. I'll give them the same score, 6.2. Mark it. Like... Was special. Was special is the band in the scene, right? Doing what I want the scene to be doing, well, and where I it, thought it was going. At least pushing it in a direction, but I wouldn't say that every... it's not the direction for everyone. But yeah. like, I'm an Umphreys person. Like, was special good is the next fucking like was special, Mister F. That was the shit that I wanted to be blowing up. <sighs> well, um, perpetual groove. People love that shit. I think what we've learned here: widespread panic. Oh like yeah, widespread panic. People are government mad. mule was huge. We didn't, we didn't we talk younger. about widespread panic. People and I went to all these. That. I went to a couple of each of these. Long and story short, here is just like you know, we're looking at years of time that have been spent in the jam band show and environment. That's the angle at which we're going to review the following movie. This concludes what I would hope is the only long form jam band discussion on this podcast. Here you are. You have it now. Yeah. Um, we will do one day a secret paid for episode reviewing each other's bands and bands in our tier. Wow. Oh, I would love that. Um, I already have enemies. Maybe we could do that today, but <laughs> but that's a good idea. Put a pin in that. Um, and with that, 
hour and 40-ish minute intro. Yeah, I think that concludes part one. That concludes what Dan is obsessed with the notion of splitting this episode in half. The part one, this is the time when you go get your popcorn. Maybe I'll play an intermission song. Maybe we, I'll play the E.T. audiobook. Maybe we're going to have a season break, and it would be nice to have two separate episodes to fucking fill some time, Dan. It's not a big deal. Dan's trying to juice this content. Juice it. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Dan Lyons. I, I'm, I'm Dan Enden. <laughs> I, I fucking... Do you have something else to say? Just Umphreys. Great band. Seems like you have a lot on your mind. I just really like Umphreys. Bring sheets.